Hi, I'm Lydia with Revelation Real Estate, and today we have two amazing partners with us. We have Battalion Chief Jesus Ramirez with the City of Surprise. Rivera. Rivera. I'm so sorry. Rivera. (laughs) And um, (laughs) Rebecca Rebecca Rocco Rocco with Dispatch Health. Thank you for coming. And... um, we're, what I'm so excited about with this uh, podcast today is that you guys have partnered with each other as far as you are paramedic firefighter and you have urgent mobile, um, urgent, mobile care. urgent care. Mm-hmm. So um, I know we've got a lot to talk about today. So give us kind of what are some of the bigger calls that you get? What are the most calls you get for the city of Surprise as far as uh urgent calls are. Sure, yeah. It, City Surprise, like other agencies throughout the Valley, fire departments, majority of the calls that we get are medical related, medical in nature, um, a lot of them minor injuries, falls, uh, ill people that aren't really sure what's going on and not really sure who else to call. So we respond to those and provide them with what they need after an assessment and then provide them with options. Right, right. And, and um, as far as uh, Rebecca, you Dispatch Health gets a lot of calls as well. What are some of your bigger calls that you get? We respond to the same types of things. Okay. So um, a lot of uh, colds, flu, flu season's going to start early this yep. year, um, UTIs in our elderly pop- population. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We see ages three months and above. Okay. So we can see, you know, fevers in young children. We can see UTIs in, in our seniors. Um all different kinds of things. Right, so, right. And you know, dehydration. of CHF, COPD, yep. diabetes, things like that. Okay. So as far as the both of you together, you've got some programs that you're working with. So give us, um, one is obviously the first program you have through um, the fire department is the ambulance emergency response. That's just your everyday call. Is that kind of yeah, well, typically when somebody calls 911, the, the first unit they're going to get is a fire engine. Okay. It has two paramedics and two EMTs on it. We're going to respond, and sometimes with lights and sirens, a lot of times without, because if it doesn't seem to be a life threat on the 911 call, then we'll just drive out there normal. Um, and, and we get there, do the assessment, uh, ask some questions, do an evaluation. We always uh, put them on a... Um, uh, heart monitor so we can look at a three lead if needed a 12 lead view of their heart uh, vital signs blood sugar temperature uh, physical assessment listen to lungs things like that to try to identify what they have going on and then uh, with the questions we figure out what they have in their history that mm. could be causing their condition if it's something new right. and unrelated that's always concerning right. and that's always a situation where we'd want to transport somebody directly to the hospital in the event they're having some type of life threat Right, right. So another program that you have, you ha- you call it Treat and Refer Program. So let's kind of dive into that one. So that is a program where you'll get your call and you do the assessment. And then what do you do after that? What's what's kind of the referral that you're, that you're doing at that point? Sure, yeah. So they start out the same way. It's a 911 call. We respond in a fire engine. Uh, we do the assessment, the initial medical care where we... Uh, vital signs, do all that same thing, questions, two sets, and try to figure out what's going on with them. Now, if we identify that it's not a life-threatening situation, it might be something like they have low blood sugar, or they're a bit dehydrated, Mm -hmm. or they're having a mild allergic reaction, or a mild asthma respiratory situation, we can provide them with treatment on scene, do 
a reassessment, and if they show improvement, and a lot of people do, a lot of people feel a lot better after they get that initial care that we provide, mm-hmm. um, and we still find that they have no life threat, then we would go to that situation where we make a we could make a referral. So we try to figure out what's best for them in their condition. If they're having a um, situation where they could go to an urgent care, we would recommend mm-hmm. urgent care. Uh, okay. For some of the senior population, they, it may be late at night. Maybe they don't want right. to drive to an urgent care. Maybe they're not familiar with an urgent care. They've never been there and they're only familiar with the emergency room okay. because they've driven there or we've taken them by ambulance. Right. So then we make a recommendation. Hey, we have this service. It's a mobile urgent care that can come to you. These folks right. work with us. They bring a nurse practitioner and an EMT and they'll provide you an assessment if you need a prescription. They can right. get that going for you and provide you a higher level of care. Okay. Does that sound like something you'd be interested in? And right. most people, once they hear about it, they're like, yeah, I don't, I yeah. can just stay here. And it's like, yeah, just, just answer the door when they arrive and then they'll provide you with an appropriate level of care. So that that is one option and that's okay. how we've partnered with Dispatch Health. Okay. There are some other situations where maybe they need to go back to their specialist. A diabetic mm. uh, patient should definitely go back with their specialist okay. and figure out what's going on there. If they're suffering from behavioral crisis, right. then we'll make sure that they get into a behavioral program. If okay. if they're an immediate uh, threat to themselves or others at the time, danger to self, danger to others, then we provide them with alternative transport directly to a behavioral facility. There's a lot of adult facilities that we work with that um, they receive funding from the regional behavioral health authority, so they don't okay. get billed for that. Okay. Um, and uh, and so do you do those assessments while you're there? You figure out which yeah which pro which way to send them basically. Yeah, yeah. We identify what would be the best resource for their needs at that okay. time. If it's not ambulance to a hospital and there's better options right we're going to run those options by the patient explain to them what they are to get their consent because people if they want to go to the hospital by ambulance we'll take them that way but we provide them with these other options and they're really surprised when they do receive these options and they go to these other services right and uh, and they get the care they need immediately so like a behavioral health patient they would spend uh, when we first started our program in 2015 they would spend anywhere up to 24 to 72 hours in an emergency room just waiting for Mm, care, waiting to get that behavioral health service that they need. So since we've developed partnerships with different behavioral health facilities, we can get them directly there and within a matter of 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however long it takes us to get there, they'll be in touch with the behavioral health provider immediately. And one of the bigger challenges we have is with adolescents as well. Anyone that's under 18, uh, there's a lot of teenagers that that have a lot of challenges and so we want to get them in touch with those services as well. So we've partnered with several facilities throughout the valley where we transport them to as far out as Chandler to ensure that they get immediate care. Okay. We don't want to let anyone fall through the cracks there. Right, right. And it's probably helped the municipality to basically go to some of these other um, resources than constantly going to the to the emergency room because they're first off they're over um, they're over sta- or they're over uh, run at certain times of the year obviously yeah. our winter time gets a little more full because of all of our winter visitors and so these probably have 
made it a little more affordable and also get the help faster, it sounds like. Definitely. And, and what's, what happened is when paramedics first started in the 70s mm-hmm. and ambulances were created, the protocols uh, came from medical directors, doctors within the hospital. So okay. a paramedic is an extension of a doctor. We can do right. a lot of the same uh, treatments and procedures out in the street that they do in the emergency room. Right. And so for many, many years, it's been the only option we've had is to okay. transport them to the hospital. The guidelines of protocols have all said transport to the hospital and the only method we had to get them there was an ambulance and so for many years also the only source of sustainability or any type of revenue that uh, an emergency agency would have is transport to the hospital Uh, although state statute allows transport to other destinations when appropriate the only reimbursement was for a hospital so that created challenges where we really um, over many years a lot of firefighters and paramedics were just kind of they love what they're doing but just kind of disappointed that we didn't have better options to provide to people yeah and it just wasn't part of protocol and we'd be kind of going rogue if we did anything without that right so since the treat and refer program was developed and approved by cms in november of 2016 um, that is really the first time and and specific to arizona that cms has recognized a paramedic for their level of training Mm -hmm. education Uh, professionalism expertise where we can assess a patient and identify a life threat uh, provide treatment on scene and then recommend transport referral to another facility by some other sort of transport okay and and so the the group that that really the payer that started supporting this first was access so Medicaid Medicaid supports it so treatment refers Medicaid uh, funded and it really depends on the paramix in the community if you have Medicaid then we're eligible to receive um, some reimbursement for that to help offset the cost for the IV supplies the medications the electrodes that we use for the EKG and blood sugar and things like that right so we really have been working to try to get other payers on board like Medicare and private insurances but it's been a little bit of a struggle I'm it, sure. it takes some time sure. yeah. are we the only state that has a program like this is this unique to Arizona it, it is unique to Arizona there are other states that are working on similar programs with their Medicaid okay but again it's challenging not everybody uh, joins right away because if they have a high Medicare population there's yeah. not really any any sustainability in that program right. and working for a government agency we want to make sure that the program is sustainable right along with providing the, the best the level of of care right yeah and so the way we do things uh, most fire departments do municipalities is we don't screen insurances we don't say okay. hey what what insurance do you have again uh, okay. and, and then provide you, you, you options provide there. service we to provide, everybody yeah so okay. if you're Medicare if you're uninsured if you have private insurance you're going to receive the same level of care that everybody's right. going to get we right. don't we don't uh, do the wallet biopsy or anything right. like that. We I think that's how, isn't that how the hospitals do it too? Because I know my daughter has said that they have to provide service for everybody that, that comes. Yeah, they have well. a law. Uh, it's yeah. called EMTALA. And yeah. so when someone goes into an emergency room, they have to receive care. Provide it. Yeah. 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 So with this program, you basically are the eyes and ears because normally someone would call you dispatch health say these are my symptoms but you're not really there i mean you have a good source of questions to ask Mm -hmm. them during that time but the paramedics and the firefighters are kind of your eyes and ears to Mm -hmm. seeing what the symptoms are ahead of time before you even get there is that kind of Mm -hmm. yeah exactly okay and how long this program between the two of you it's been going on since 2016 no no so he's talking about treat and refer. Oh, okay. So we're, we've just started to work together. Okay, to, okay. You know, 
how is it on scene okay so you guys just start you're they are just one of your referral sources right yeah so how has it worked for you guys for both yeah, I speak for us. It's been great. I okay. think the uh, we will. So part of the treat and refer program is follow up. We want to know within 72 mm-hmm. hours, did that patient go to an emergency room right. anyway? Did they follow up with the care that we recommended? Right. And so we do that through different there's different ways we do that. We, we send out surveys. So we collect email addresses gotcha. and phone numbers on scene. That's something that we would do in the past. If we right. asked for a phone number, it could be considered a little bit creepy, but right. <laughs> you know, but it's required now. And so right. that way we have a way to follow up with them. If they don't have an email address, we can call them. And so um, we want to know, uh, you know, did, did we help them out? Did right. we consider their, their thoughts in that treatment plan? Did right. they treatment plan? Did it work for them? Right. Did they understand the plan that was, recommended for them uh, would they have called an ambulance and gone to the hospital if this service didn't exist and would they use it again and and are they satisfied with it and we have a really high uh, satisfaction percentage most people really love having options they really like knowing that they they could go to an urgent care or they could make an appointment with their doctor and most people after they receive treatment and IV fluid sometimes they feel a lot better right, right. there. Like, oh, I don't feel like I need to go anywhere. Right. But we still make that recommendation because we're not doctors. We're just right. that navigator that wants to make sure they get the appropriate get, level of right. care. So you follow up with them within a couple, a day or two and try to make sure that they've either been to a doctor, gone to an urgent care or whatever situation they have to go to at that point. Do you find that the majority of those folks do make sh- make it to whatever facility they need to go to? Have, is that a high yeah. percentage? Yeah, a lot of people do. Some said, no, I just I just wanted to stay home. I felt better. Yeah. Um, some people, when we just walk in the door and just smile at them or hold their hand, they, they actually feel a lot better yeah. with that. But th- there is a small percentage of people, maybe 15%, that still go to the emergency room. Interesting. And okay. so a lot of it's by choice. And right. most of the people that do go to the emergency room, they're in and out within a couple hours. Okay. And I think maybe it's just a level of comfort. Right. Maybe there's a doctor there they like, they right. treat them well, and that's what they know. Um, but most of those people don't get admitted to the hospital. And and the ones that do, and maybe there's three or 4% that do get admitted. Right. Um, and they're usually kept for observation overnight. Gotcha. Just kind of see what's going sure. on. Yeah, let's keep an eye on yeah. you. Um, so really, it's a safe program. The medical directors are all pretty satisfied with it. The customers are satisfied that they have options. Right. And uh, when, when they don't, you know, they don't need to go to the hospital, they don't uh, incur those bills. Right. And if absolutely. the insurance doesn't cover it, then they've right. got to pay out of pocket. So yeah. we want to make sure that doesn't happen. We want to provide them with the best options altogether. Right. Absolutely. That, that behavioral health piece is yes. the access plans now are looking for ways to treat uh, behavioral health patients. It's such they fall into this black hole. So I think right. it's such an important And it's piece. it's I don't know if it's our population because we have such a high population or if it's just because there's more behavioral health issues nowadays that we know about nowadays that we didn't before. But I know behavioral health is very big on the forefront of everybody's well, even mind. Even in our seniors. I mean, it's just something 10 years ago that they wouldn't even talk about. Right. Right. So I think it's 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 more it's not as a taboo as it was 10 right. years ago now they're more open to talking about uh, because there's so many resources available I think. absolutely yeah so when you're assessing someone um if if someone calls 911 and you come out and i've had this with my own family members so i understand they've fallen and someone can't 
get them up. So you guys get called and you pick them up and you kind of check them out, make sure no bones are broken and things like that. Um, many times, at least in my family, they're like, I'm fine. I don't need to go anywhere. Um, so that that this program has probably helped some of that to make sure that they do get looked at by a physician of some kind some at some point. Um, and then that way they're but they, if they don't want to go to the hospital, they don't have to go. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. This is all voluntary. It's okay. choice. We just provide them with the different options. I like to refer to it as a menu because okay. we used to only have one option on the menu. Right. And that was hospital by ambulance. Right. But now with Treat and Refer, we've opened up other options and right. other opportunities. So when somebody falls, we'll, we'll go out and, of course, we'll, we'll pick them up. But it's the assessment and yeah. the vital signs and everything that we do to figure out what's going on with them. Is this... Is this new? Is, have you ever fallen? When's the last time you fell? And we actually do collect. Uh, there's some questions that we ask for the. There's you have a good falls. database. Yeah. That. yeah, yeah, to try to collect that data, and um, so we want to know if if they have something going on that's new to them. Do, right. do they normally need assistance walking around or mm. not? What kind of medications are they on? Maybe, oh, I just got this new medication, and right. well, maybe that's what's causing it. Yeah. We we don't know, but we definitely try to do a thorough assessment there. And if we right. recognize they have injuries, skin tears, maybe. Maybe they need sutures right. or a wound needs to be cleaned or there's bruising or swelling going on in an area and you know maybe it, it doesn't need to go to a hospital right. that's when we make that recommendation okay. for urgent care we can partner like, gotcha. with dispatch health hey right. just just hang tight let's call yeah. let's get an estimated time of arrival and figure out what what time they could be here right. and if needed they can order up x-rays and they can do the things that you need clean your wound and right. kind of keep you at home because sometimes when people go to the hospital they, they pick up illness more, and, and bacteria they and come home sicker, more yeah, sicker yeah, than when like they, more, yes i totally more than <laughs> they would at a daycare you know yeah, I mean? and uh, it's just not always a good environment right. so especially when they're already their immune system's already, already weak frail. to begin yeah, with so yeah. Yeah. So yeah yeah so now you have another program called et3 correct okay. so tell us about that one yeah so et3 um it's it's not in place yet okay we are currently applying for it uh this is a cms approved program nationwide not just okay. arizona okay but it's funded by Medicare fee-for-service and okay. specific to Medicare fee-for-service. And so we're in the process of applying for it. The application is due in 30 days. Okay. And so we're working to get uh, a letters of intent from partners that want to participate in this program with us that we could refer patients to. So it's very much like treat and refer, but it's from an ambulance. So okay. fire departments that have a certificate of necessity that, that have ambulances and can provide transport can apply for the service. Okay. And so when you get to the call, everything starts the same way, 911, do the assessment. And if there's other options for them, okay. if they need transport, you can transport them to that facility, but they still have oh. the medical necessity rule. Right. So if they can't get there by any other means, they can't drive themselves or get right. another ride, and they need to go by ambulance, then you can take them by ambulance. However, the other options, we provide treatment on scene. So we do the assessment, provide treatment like we do with treat and refer. Okay. And there's a requirement that there either be a mid-level practice or higher, so a nurse okay. practitioner or right. physician's assistant on scene, right. uh, or we contact one through telemedicine. Okay. And so what we're doing is, is we're in the process of getting that established and partnering with a group of, of uh, medical directors that can provide that 24-7 right. and, uh, and have that consultation to ensure that the plan is safe and will work and be effective for the patient at that time. Right. And then we'll arrange for transport for them to go somewhere else. Okay. However, there's still opportunity where 
mobile urgent care can come right. to them as well. Right. And so that that's how that program is, is going to okay. run, but we're going to provide it for everybody. Okay. I know that CMS has, has been talking to the Medicaid um, payers in, in every state to try to get them on board so that okay. Medicaid and Medicare can both participate. And then we're hoping the privates come along as well because, again, this is a much better service uh, where we want to work directly with the payers. Right. Like, like treat and refer. With treat and refer, we don't bill anybody. There's no okay. copay. There's Nobody's going to collections over it. We want to work directly with the payer. Right. And we hope to do that with ET3 as well. Okay. And uh, if they um, go to their doctor, it would be in network or they work with okay. uh, urgent care that... Um, so this could be a huge... I mean, if this is... You're obviously including everybody and all insurances and all types of um, medical services that are out there. Yeah. So... Yeah, we want to get everybody on board and just change what we've been doing for years right you know the the costs are just way too high right. and, and too many people going to collections and getting bills that they don't need when or they're there's not other options. or they're not going to the doctor when right. they should yeah. go to the doctor yeah, yeah. that's right. that's another one yeah. yeah so so with this program um obviously you're still kind of in the planning stages of it um do you see it coming on board um, anytime soon, or can you give us kind of a time frame? As yeah, to yeah, definitely. The way the program works is uh, the applications close in 30 days, okay. and then shortly after that, we'll find out who's approved nationwide. Okay. So they're going to approve ambulance providers and suppliers nationwide. That's okay. private and public both. Okay. And uh, and once they're approved, there's uh, another grant going out after that, okay. um, and that's for dispatch centers. So okay. municipalities that provide dispatch batch for multiple jurisdictions can apply. Now there's only 40 of those going to be approved. So we're hoping that here in the Valley we have an opportunity to get one because right. we're all dispatched through the Phoenix right. Fire Department. Okay. And uh, so that would be a good opportunity for us to have that dispatch piece where they add or enhance triage on the front end. So when people call 911, there's a possibility where nobody needs to come out. Maybe they can right. provide them with instruction for at-home care or they can make a referral there over the phone to say, hey, you can, an urgent care can take care of you. Right. Or if needed, we'll send a low or acuity a, unit. Or home health care company or something yeah, like that yeah. okay. or dispatch help, dispatch help. <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot of <laughs> yeah a lot of options so 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 they'll be applying and approved after the ambulances are and then we're hoping by early 2020 these program okay. will be available for everybody nationwide and okay. we're hoping that surprise fire medical is one of the entities okay. involved in that okay great and um would it do you think it would just be well you wouldn't know until it gets approved who's right. gonna be on it but i'm yeah. assuming arizona will probably be on that list because we do have a high sir, a group of people of seniors out here yeah so. yeah and you know with the treat and refer program being in place a lot of what's in the application for each you're already doing we're, yeah. we're doing we partnered like with the health information exchange that's one of one of our biggest partners there so we uh um, so shared information is one of the biggest things. Right. So when you go to a doctor, uh, you know, they ask, well, who prescribed you this? Or, you know, right. and they don't have access to that information. But all that health information should live within that patient's portal. Right. right. You know, and one of the uh, references I've seen or similarities was, uh, you know, if you go out of state, you go out of town, anywhere, you go shopping, you buy stuff at one store, you go eat somewhere, you can look at your bank account right. uh, online and see where all the transactions have been and how much money's in there. Right. But with your medical 
medical uh, health, it's you go not. to different places yeah. and everything's siloed everywhere and you have can't go to one place. So that's why um, there's such a big push for that information living within right. the health information exchange. Right. So we've worked with um, with them directly so okay. that we can follow up with patients. Uh, we have a bi-directional exchange now. Okay. So our records live in the patient's okay. uh, records. And I think that would be a huge help because I know that when I know my my uh, clients too when they go to the emergency room, um, that's probably one of the biggest issues is getting patient from home through ER department into say neurotrauma where my daughter works and getting the information to all those different entities yeah. that are with them and that's you know sometimes you guys come in the fire, fire and paramedics come to the hospital and they drop everything off with that patient and mm -hmm. then maybe the emergency department somehow there some of the information gets to their department some of it doesn't and right. so some there's got to be a system in place yeah so if everything's electronic and it lives yeah. and it all goes to the same place then it's always there right. that would minimize duplicate testing right. duplicate medications it would increase safety would reduce costs right overall just a better system right. and when we don't have to print a piece of paper it's right. less likely that yeah. a piece of paper gets yeah. lost or yeah. left out somewhere and then you have a HIPAA concern oh, so yeah. um so yeah yeah, if we can just share that electronically and right. have everything live there, then Absolutely. it's much better. And then um, the community paramedical, am I saying that right? Para community paramedicine. Medicine. Yeah. Okay. So that is, um, is tell us what that program is. That's more of a follow-up program, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we had a community paramedicine program that was funded by Vitalist Health. Okay. There were five agencies in the West Valley that all partnered together. It was okay. uh, cities of Avondale, Goodyear, Peoria, Sun City, and Surprise. So we had half a million people that um, that we could have as, as patients. Right. We had shared resources. We would team up a Surprise paramedic with a Goodyear paramedic, and we would reach out to patients that would utilize 911 that would call at least three times in a month or 12 times mm -hmm. in a year. Okay. And so we're really trying to identify people that were reliant on the 911 system. Higher risk mm -hmm. pay, uh, people. At yeah, yeah, high okay. risk, but maybe maybe they weren't. Maybe they just were using us as a form of Our primary health care. Oh. And so oh, I see. Okay. we would make call and make that appointment with them, come out, visit, spend an hour, hour and a half with them, find out what health plan they belong to, what resources they have available, right. and then help them get in touch with those resources. A lot of those folks had insurance, they just didn't have they a didn't primary know. care doctor. Yeah. They just didn't go to the primary care doctor, or they didn't fill prescriptions, or um, you know, they had other other challenges. Maybe it was right. a behavioral health thing. They had yep. not talked to their uh, behavioral health uh, provider in a while and so they, they needed to get back in there uh, one of the one of the patients that we had in that program was a veteran and was calling uh, 911 a lot for a lot of different things but he was always doing okay so when we set that appointment up with him and his family we've discovered that really he wanted to just he wanted to have a, a service animal you know he yeah. really like loved the dogs and wanted to have a service animal. And, hey, right. I really, you know, I get anxious. And so the family didn't know that. We discovered that. And the family actually just pitched in and got him one. Wow. And he, he stopped That's calling 911. Yeah. So That's overall, yeah. Overall, in that one year we ran that program, the patients that we identified, there were 78 patients that accounted for a couple thousand calls. Okay. We reduced their call volume by 89%. Wow. So And that's huge yeah. for you guys huge, because yeah. then you guys can actually get the calls that 
not that these other calls aren't important yeah, because right. they are but, but if know, we can on the freeway exactly I mean, those are the kind of things exactly right? if we can yeah. facilitate some of those lesser urgent calls to someone like dispatch health you guys can actually go out to the major right calls that you have yeah once people are familiar with what they have available to them right. and yeah it's like you know you, you you have a place where you like to buy your produce you know, right you go there and you know that you know you have a certain pharmacy you go to you're familiar with that but not everybody's familiar with what they have so right. you try to help them with that uh maybe they're not following post-discharge instructions maybe just yeah. walking down the street to the end of the block and back is is what they you know what helps them and what what right. they need so we really just want to get them in, in more familiar with what they have and right. so they can rely on that when they need us definitely they can call us anytime we right. always encourage that right it doesn't matter what time of day is you call us if you need us right we're there to help them but this is just a way for us to help them uh, in it by appointment and so we can have more time because most emergencies uh, 15 minutes we try to figure out what's going on try to figure out what's going on in their life yeah. with their body because uh, you emotionally have to, you have to assess them quickly yeah. to be able depending on what their symptoms are because the like i know stroke victims mm -hmm. need um to be they need certain medicine within a three win hour window and things like that so you guys have to basically assess them pretty quick yeah right? try to figure out quickly what's going on is yeah. this a life threat or not if not we can take a little more time on scene but yeah we just don't have the hour hour and a half to right. really go through their social physical all, all their stuff that yeah. a community paramedic can do so that was a grant funded program and we're working on trying to get another grant but we will what we would like to do is work with the payers directly uh, mm. because when we well we have contracts with medicaid payers for treat and refer right. and what we want to do is is do the same thing is is you know maybe get contracts with them you know we, we have information data we can share with them about right. community paramedicine we have stories we can share with them and if they want to partner with us we can definitely do that we're not trying to replace anybody really right. we're just there trying to fill the gaps and, and the voids and get the right. patients the appropriate level of care so they rely more on their primary care right or more on uh home and, health and, and or to whatever make sure that need. there's nobody being dropped through the cracks because yeah. that's what usually has happened over the yeah. years is well i think with et3 it may it may bring some of those payers to the table don't you think and yeah i, 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 see I think so a lot of awareness absolutely yeah with treatment for being medicaid and et3 being medicare right and being very very similar in nature i think there's definitely opportunity there and that's that's what we're hoping for right. you know overall it would reduce costs and improve right uh, health overall right so it sounds like surprise and arizona is almost the forefront of some of these programs that are going to be eventually implemented in other states is that yeah kind of yeah. what you're yep. seeing out there yep that's definitely what i'm seeing arizona department of health services okay. the medical directors here access of arizona health current the hie they've all had a hand in this and okay. they've all been part of that making arizona one of the leaders in the nation right for sure right so Obviously, you work in the city of Surprise, but um, as far as other fire and and paramedic programs, 
you guys get together on a regular basis with some of the other municipalities throughout the Arizona? Do you try to share ideas and programs that have worked and haven't worked? And if they haven't worked, what hasn't worked? Do you do you get together with some of your other? Yeah. So we, we meet every month. So we okay. have the, it's called the EMS Rock. So okay. Emergency Medical Services Regional Operational Consistency Committee. Okay. So all the Valley Fire Departments meet every month. And we talk, we go through uh, an agenda and we you know, we talk okay. about things like emergency medical services, training, right. certifications, paramedic programs, um, treat and refer programs, partners. We talk about payers that we've met with, special groups we've met with, and we talk about things that work in our communities that right. are making things better. And then we put other uh, municipalities in touch with them as well. Yeah. The, the protocols and guidelines that we work off of they're, they're all approved and consistent throughout because even though different areas, different cities have special right. needs or challenges that they have, for, for the most part, a lot of the protocols and guidelines are very similar okay. and approved throughout the state of Arizona. So right. we want to keep things uh, available. We want to work together. If uh, one agency is, is you know found success doing something one way, then we share that with everybody else. So right. that everybody, and if there's questions, hey, how do I do that? Or who did you talk to? Or where did you go for that? Right. Then we we meet every month to ensure that we keep things uh, consistent. Right. And I'm assuming that you also include in those meetings some of the, um, uh, like the the Dr. Nairi with the Fall Coalition, those yeah. types of people that are yeah. maybe overseeing how many falls Arizonans have a year and, and how to assess those falls and how to try to avoid those types of things. So yeah. you have a, a group of people that come together every month for that, those purposes. Yeah, yeah, we do. So uh, there's a fall prevention uh, coalition. So Dr. Nairi um, sends out a lot of information, meets regularly with folks at the Department of Health Services yep. to work with them. We've added some other questions to our electronic patient care record so we can keep track of when people have fallen, when was their last fall, and right. things like that. There's about three or four questions that we yeah. include in there to collect that data to, to share with the state. But uh, yeah. yeah, that and the EMS um, senior stakeholders group, that's another group we meet quarterly. And what we're doing there is we're working with care facilities okay. to ensure that they know, uh, hey, when 911 should be called mm. or when when it should. That's a hey, good one. Here's, here's, <laughs> here's one. other options, you know, if, if it's uh, yeah. an illness that someone's familiar with or a real minor injury, right. they could get in touch with services like Dispatch Health. It's an right. excellent service that can come out and provide them assessment, evaluation on scene. Uh, they might not need to go anywhere from there. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, if it is something that seems more emergent, someone hit their head and maybe right. there's some bleeding going on, then definitely call us out and we can come out and evaluate. But we'll work with them. But we, when we do come out, then we will make those referrals as well. Hey, you know, call these folks right. and they can help you out. So we're working with them so that we have an understanding and mm -hmm. we, uh, you know, we share the list with them. Hey, we've, we're here 20 times this month or... You know, and that includes and group homes besides large facilities, yeah, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so okay. any facility that seems to utilize 911 often, yes. and there's some misunderstandings. We'll go and sometimes uh, they think, oh, we can't pick them up, or we're not allowed to touch them. Right. Or because they fell, you have to take and them to the hospital. they ask us if we can pick them up. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> you know. It happens and, all the time. Yeah, yeah, so we're just trying to straighten these things out. If they're a care yeah. facility, then they they should be able to provide the care that that right. patient needs. So um, really a lot of it's just misunderstanding. Right. And so and it's that, just and my team is out in the field every day and that's what we do. It's 
it's people really always education. Ask us, you know, why don't more people use you? Well, we've got to re-educate people and shift right. that paradigm, right? We're going to shift it, that call to 911, because that's the first place their brain right. goes is 911, So we're constantly reinforcing, you know, maybe think about that first. Right. Is this, or just pick up the phone and call us. Right. And we'll walk And find you out, is right. it is it right. an urgent yeah. call where it would take someone out of the field where an urgent call actually needs to be taken care of? So Or it's going to put one of our frail seniors in the hospital yeah. for two weeks and, yeah. and really diminish them. So well, I this is a wealth of information, and I would love to have you both come back again because I'd love to know how the program is going in a couple of months and see what changes you've made to the program and if we've maybe ex- expanded it to other communities within Arizona because I I see nothing but good out of this I mean I, I'm sure there's a lot of bumps along the way and what you can and can't do but I look at it as as we've got so many um, baby boomers in the state of Arizona and that's probably the majority of your calls are probably a lot of the baby boomers and we've got to uh, rethink out of the box of how we take care of some of these um, folks because there's just not enough you know caregivers and enough first responders and enough nurses and doctors in the hospital we just we have a shortage of of caregivers basically and so we need to rethink how can we um, how can we take care of some of these folks and give them the services that they need so I really appreciate you coming, and I would love to have you come back. So anytime you're available. So. Well, thank you very much <laughs> for uh, having me. Yeah. Well, that is it for our podcast today. And next week we will have Kim Yates with Savior Hospice coming, and she will talk about the difference between hospice and palliative care. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you. Lydia.